There's a story that takes place in Japan. It's a story about a Zen master who lived on top of a mountain but had a very close relationship to the village nearby. And this Zen master was known to be very, very calm and peaceful and equanimous and balanced and very Zen. And any time there was any trouble in the, in, the, in the community, in the village, they would go to him. So when the crops were bad, they would come to talk to him. And he would say, you know, we'll get through this. We, it, we, it will pass. Things will change. And when someone was ill, they'd come to see him, and he would offer his wisdom and talk about the impermanence of things and that things would change and that... Um, it just taught the villagers how to be calm and even and balanced in the midst of everything. Well, one day, the Zen master's son died. And the villagers were all, of course, very upset about this, but they were also extremely curious, how was he going to react? So they all, a couple of them went up the mountain to see him and they knocked on the door and they kind of walked in and there was the Zen master crying in tears and tears. And they all looked really puzzled because they expected this guy to be really, really relaxed and calm and peaceful and equanimous. And they said, what's going on? And he said, I have emotions too. (laughs) He sort of looked at them that way. He said, you know, of course I have emotions When my son died, I felt horrible. I'm continuing to feel horrible. But the difference between you and me is that the turnaround time is faster for me. So this is the question tonight, the question of our emotions and how we relate to them and how we can learn to have a healthy relationship to the emotions, which are often things that kind of take us away, that we get lost in, or maybe sometimes we're not even clear about our emotions. What's happening? How do they relate to our meditation practice? How do they relate to the Dharma? I think we live in a culture that's very confused about emotions. Just If you look at pop culture, and there's, there's just a million... Um, self-help books that are out there. It's like everyone's trying to figure it out. And here's what you should do. And you should try this. And if that doesn't work, you should, you know, try loving, leaving. Do, you know, it's, it's, this, it's this very interesting attempt to understand and make sense of these emotions that we're all dealing with all the time. Talk show culture. We get to see a lot of emotions in, um, on television, on talk shows. And it's like there's n- never been any really good training out there. There's lots of theories, but they change a lot. Well, you should express your anger. You should never express your anger. And if you look through the whole history of psychological, the psychology, psychological movement of the 70s, things change a lot. And um, it, I always thought it would be great if we could train in emotional intelligence. You know, Dan Goleman uh, coined that term, emotional intelligence. How do we train ourselves in emotional intelligence? And I think that some of the key to this is in the teachings of the Buddha. 
We also have these families that are, um, we all got our training from our families since we didn't get it in school, right? We got training that some families were super nice families where nobody expressed any emotions and um, it was considered not a good thing to express your emotion. Or there were families where there was a lot of expression of emotions and this of course varies from culture to culture and community to community and we all are, um, we have different kinds of training. And then as adults, we continue to act these out unless we've learned other ways. So, what are emotions? Emotions, one, one, word, one translation of the word emotion that I've heard is the something that we've been referring to. I think Julie's been talking about it and also Tisha, this energy. So energy in motion, emotion, energy in motion. So it's really these, these energies, these physical sensations that pass through our body. They're, they're energies that pass through our body. Sometimes they stick around for a long time. Sometimes they go really quickly. But their body, the way that we perceive them from a Buddhist perspective is their, their body sensations, energy, and thoughts, so accompanying thoughts. So you're feeling some kind of deep, dark pit in the center of your belly, and you're having this thought, oh no, I've done a horrible thing. You're feeling guilty. So that's this, is this emotion. We, ha- we then have labels that we attach to it, and often associations come with it. Emotions are this incredible, important part of our humanness. They're what, in some sense, it's what, what gives us juice and aliveness. They're also, from a Dharma perspective, they're also not me. They are, they're, they're, as I said, they're passing through. They're sort of visitors that come and go, but we take them very personally. We take them to be me. And when we take them to be me, as we know, we tend to suffer. And we take our emotions really, really seriously. Oh no, I'm in horrible, horrible pain. We suffer. Because we're in pain, we're suffering. So there's something about how do we learn to have a little space? How do we learn to have a little bit of um, less clinging to the emotions as they come and go? We can learn to work skillfully with emotions. We can learn to honor them because they're a part of us. We can learn not to act out of the ones that can be hurtful. We can learn not to repress them, not to express them in ways that are dangerous to ourselves or others, but we can learn to be with them. In the Buddhist teaching, and Philip talked about this last night, the four foundations of mindfulness... The third foundation of mindfulness talks about how to re- relate to objects that, um, that, that, that are mental states, or chitta, it's called. And it says, how yogi, and yogi, it actually used to say, how monk, and I changed it to yogi, because you're yogis. How yogi does a yogi dwell, perceiving again and again the mind as just the mind, not my, not self, but just phenomena? Here, yogis, when a mind with greed arises, a yogi knows there is a mind with greed. When a mind with anger arises, a yogi knows this is a mind of anger. 
When a mind without greed arises, a yogi knows this is a mind without greed. And then it goes on to list several things from hatred, delusion, laziness, distraction. The yogi knows. So there's something about the act of knowing in which the freedom comes. And this is what we're going to explore. So I've been meeting with you all and... um, hearing all the different and and hearing and sometimes experiencing with you and noticing all the different emotions that come through the course of this retreat. And people are going through um, anger and sadness and grief and despair and joy and delight and happiness and fear. And it's just this whole range. I mean, if you put on your sort of emotions glasses, you can see this, all these different emotions happening. If I look out, I say, oh, emotions, emotions everywhere. How do we work with them? How do we learn to practice with them in a way that um, we can find this freedom, the freedom of knowing them? The first thing to say is that it's not always easy. Sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. Sometimes the emotions are so strong that they can come and overwhelm us. So we need to be really gentle with ourselves and know that it's a process and it can take some time to have a facility. There might be a tendency to say, well, I want to watch my emotions. I want to be aware of them. I should, they should be here. And maybe there's no emotion arising. And if that's the case, there's no emotion arising and that's fine. It's just the way things are. So just notice and, um, and notice freedom from strong emotion. Or maybe there's light emotions or light mental states, like a mental state of peace. Like Julie talked about this morning, maybe there's nothing happening. Oh, there's peace here. Well, that's a mental state. It's not so much an emotional... It, it, mental states are more kind of like background um, experience. So... You can have a mental state of um, ease, for instance. It's not exactly an emotion, but it's, it's a mental state is what we might call it. Ease or peace or some, a, a mental state of uh, sadness in the background that's not so tangible, like you're feeling really sad. That's sort of how you distinguish them. Here's a, a sort of helpful mnemonic to work with emotions when they come. And um, I think Michelle McDonald Smith came up with this many years ago, and I, I just think it's really, it's really good. It's called RAIN. And RAIN stands for recognize, accept, investigate, and not identify. And, or disidentify, but then it would be R-A-I-D, RAID, which wouldn't be so good, so we'll leave it at RAIN. Um, So RAIN is a way that when strong emotions come through the body that we can um, experience them and really know them like the Buddha was pointing to. It sounds like it's linear, like first you do one and then the next, and it it often doesn't work that way. It can be happening simultaneously or um, in a a slightly different order, but best case scenario, I'll give you the, the order here. So R recognize. Know that you're in an emotion. Sometimes you're having an emotion and you just don't even know it. 
It's so, it's, you're just so caught in it and you don't even, it, it's, there's not any sense like, oh, I am grieving. It's just that grief is happening or fear is happening. You don't know it. So recognizing it is the first step and really the key to everything, to being mindful in the midst of this. You can use a note. We often teach note, mental noting in these retreats. So you can use a note. You can actually identify it as happiness, fear, worry, anger, whatever, whatever it is that's happening. A word might help kind of put a frame around the experience. A is accept. So accept starts from the basis that all emotions are okay. And they are. Even the ones that feel unacceptable to you, they're okay too. Their energy in motion passing through this body. Can we learn to accept it? It may be too hard. It may feel like the emotion is so big I can't possibly accept it. In that case, then don't go there. Just sort of back off a little, maybe return to your breathing, maybe um, at that point open your eyes. Just see, we can only do as much as we can do when we're paying attention to our emotions. If they're big, we need to approach them quite gently. If we can't accept it, we can also notice the resistance. Oh, there's resistance happening. Okay, there's some fear, and I really don't want to feel the fear. Um, So there's some hatred, some hating the fear. So you can notice the hating. And that's that's where the acceptance comes in, the acceptance of your inability to accept. So R-A-I, investigate. Investigate. So this is where this body comes in. Feeling our emotions in our body is key to having some space around the emotions. So allowing yourself, when you know you've you've recognized an emotion, you say, okay, it's here, you know, sadness is here. Now I'm going to get curious about it. What's happening? What's happening in my body and mind? Oh, well, there's some tingling and there's burning and then it feels like my stomach's collapsing into a knot. Oh, that's interesting. Just get really, really curious about it. So feeling it, feeling it in the body, noticing the thoughts that come, the thoughts that say, oh, I shouldn't be having this, or I'm um, really unhappy and I'm always going to be unhappy. Um, There's so many, see if you can notice, investigate all of the things that make up this particular emotion. And then the last step, the N, not identify, is really the key. And this is what the Buddha was pointing to with this third foundation of mindfulness, knowing it as what it is. It's really the difference between, um, we might say, between traditional psychotherapy and a Buddhist approach. Because it's really about non-identification, not taking it so personally, not seeing it as me or mine. The Buddha said, nothing whatsoever should be clung to as me or mine. It's a really big deal. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to. And so when we're, ta- when we're in the midst 
it, it's sort of like we're doing these steps. We're recognizing, we're accepting, and as that acceptance grows and as we begin to investigate and really see what's happening, the non-clinging, the non-identification, the not taking it so personally begins to happen automatically. It's like, oh, wow, there's an emotion. It's coming, it's coming through me. It's really big. Wow, that's interesting. And in that space of even just being able to name it and notice it, there is some non-identification. And it's fantastic. And I know some of you have reported that you were in the midst of feeling all this sadness, but there was this little part of your mind just kind of knowing that you were sad. That's it. That's non-identification. It's not about getting rid of the emotion. It's not about trying to be some perfect Zen master who has no feelings. It's about having freedom in the midst of the emotion. So it doesn't control us. Sometimes when I talk about non-identification, I offer the practice of imagine that you're an alien. And you go into your body, into a human's body, and that body is your body. But you're an alien, so you go in and start to feel the body as if you've never felt a body before. You don't know what it is to be a human. And, it's, and what kind of thoughts this human is having, and what are they thinking, and what are they feeling. And it's, it's, it's a practice of disidentification, and it's kind of a fun way of playing with it if you feel so moved. So as we've been practicing, um, we can work with this process, this RAIN process. And what we're noticing is, especially in the early part of the retreat, there's lots of difficult energies that come up through our bodies and into our minds, our hearts and minds. And they can be difficult mental states, or they can be difficult emotions, So I just wanted to briefly um, point out a couple of ones that are really traditional that pretty much everyone experiences because if you, once you know what they are, then you can say, oh, there's this difficult energy. And they're called hindrances, usually. And hindrance, when I think of hindrance, it's just sort of what blocks me from seeing more clearly, and how can I start to how can I start to set like what stops me from settling in what what gets in my way, and so these hindrances they're difficult energies that come and some of them I know you're familiar with probably all of them so they're things like sleepiness and restlessness and doubt and then also aversion and attachment. And I'll just say a little bit about them so you can identify. And when you identify them, you can also do that RAIN process with them. You can really get to know them. Oh, sleepiness is here. So a lot of you have been feeling sleepiness. A lot of you express that it's been so frustrating because the sleepiness comes and you're trying to meditate and it's like you're missing your whole meditation sitting because you're sleepy or sleeping. And, um, And sometimes it's just kind of this vague sort of hypnagogic kind of sleepiness, and sometimes it's just you're out. And this is a normal part of the coming into meditation process. So if that happens, you can do things like you can sort of try to wake yourself up. You, can, you see some people doing standing meditation. That can be helpful. Um, and you can also recognize sleepiness, recognize and get to know sleepiness. 
The same with restlessness, the opposite of sleepiness. So instead of feeling like you want to be sound asleep, this time you feel like you're sitting there meditating and you want to run screaming from your cushion because you have so much energy racing around your body and your mind. That's normal. Really, it's normal. I mean, this it's in some ways meditation's a little bit like we get this we're, everything that is happening in our normal life is happening in here, but we get to see it more closely and clearly because there's no distractions. So in normal life, out, normal outside of retreat life, we are sleepy and restless. We get angry and hate things. We doubt a lot. So we get this wonderful laboratory to look at things and get to know them and understand them because really the key to all of this, it's not, when we're, especially when we're working with these emotions, it's not about trying to get rid of anything. It's not about a quick fix. It's not like, now I'm going to be mindful, and when I'm mindful, then I'll get rid of all my problems. Then I'll be the perfect Zen master with no problems. It's not that. It's about understanding. It's about knowing them, knowing yourself, seeing all the things that make up you. And that's where it gets quite interesting. So doubt is the third one, or one of these hindrances. They go usually in another order, but it doesn't matter. Doubt is the hindrance um, where you sit there and you think, what am I doing here? I can't believe, does this really work? Does this do anything? I mean, meditation, why did I even think I should come? And who are these people up there, and what do they know? And who is the Buddha? And maybe it's completely not at what he said at all. And you know, I mean, anytime your mind is in confusion around, um, particularly around the meditation practice, your mind is caught in doubt. So again, noticing the doubt, noticing the restlessness talking to yourself. If you're in a lot of doubt, you can remind yourself of your motivation, of why you came. You can trust that over time you'll have different, you'll have experiences that'll show you, oh yeah, that's what's good about meditation. And so just give, give, if doubt arises, it's really important to know that it's doubt and not get too caught and um, believe doubt too, too easily. Another hindrance is the hindrance of sense desire or wanting. So it's when you're sitting there and suddenly you just think of all the great things you did last week and the vacation you want to go on and what the food is going to be like and the kitchen, I know it's so good, and oh, I wonder if they're going to give us dessert and maybe we'll have chocolate and oh, you know, that sort of mind, that kind of mind that gets caught up into fantasy desire, into wanting that things that are not in the present moment now. And... It's really important that we notice when that kind of a mind is occurring because it can take us out of the experience and then the next thing we know, the meditation is over, but we had this great fantasy. Oh, well. But we weren't, we weren't really learning that much about ourselves in that time. The, again, the reminder of the mind of letting go. It's kind of the opposite of the mind that clings, the mind of letting go. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as me or mine. So notice when desire is arising in your practice while you're here. 
And notice if, you're feel, if you suddenly realize you can't live without the special option that they're going to offer in the kitchen and maybe it's going to be, uh, maybe you've decided that it's the non-dairy that you absolutely need. If you have non-dairy, then you'll, you'll be happy forever and ever. You know, we, our minds, they, they kind of fixate on things like that. And notice, notice if you need to follow through with these desires or you can just kind of relax and say, oh, there's sense desire. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm taking myself out of the present moment, thinking the future is gonna, will cure me in some way. If I could just have this one thing, then I'll be happy. And so coming back, practicing contentment, renunciation. And then there is aversion, hating. I think a lot of you, I, maybe I just talked to a lot of people today who were in aversion, having experiences that they hated. And this can be hating things, it can be having subtle aversion, it can be having big aversion, it can be thinking your neighbor is driving you crazy, it could be your roommate, it could be your knee pain, it could be anything. It's when the mind pushes away, so it's the opposite of the mind that clings, that pulls things into you. It's the mind that pushes away. Feeling the aversion, and the same with the greed, with the wanting, feeling it in the body is so helpful. And this is what we're here to do. We're here to know our bodies, to see how these things manifest in our bodies. Sometimes the hating mind is directed at ourselves. And this can be incredibly painful. And again, in a culture that encourages this, that has these standards of beauty or success, so many of us get really kind of caught by the comparing mind. I'm not attractive enough. I'm too fat. I'm not a good meditator. The person in front of me is sitting so much straighter, and I'm such a horrible meditator. Look, and I know that they, they're enlightened, and I'm not. And how did that happen? And you know, it's like the mind can just create all these stories. And so... Um, so really being gentle with yourself, really feeling, feeling, feeling what it feels like to be un, feeling what it feels like. Anyway, feeling inside when you're not liking yourself. What does it feel like? Oh, there's some clenching. There's a sense of aversion to myself. Oh, what's that about? How interesting. You can use these same steps, R-A-I-N, investigating the experience. You can learn a lot. And I think it's really important to remember that these thoughts, and this is part of the non-identification process, these thoughts are just thoughts. And it's hard to believe it when we're thinking that I'm a horrible meditator and everybody in the room is a fantastic meditator. But when you're thinking these thoughts, it's just a thought. It's a thought that comes and goes. It comes into your mind and it passes. And just a little story about that. When I was, um, when a friend of mine was meditating, actually at a meditation center, she was experiencing a lot of self-hatred. Just everywhere she would look, she would she would just hate herself. She'd compare herself to other yogis. She would just feel so incredibly bad as a meditator. And she would meditate outside. And in this meditation center, there were lots of chipmunks. And the chipmunks used to come up to the, the meditators, to the yogis, and sometimes they would get fed. 
And one day, this chipmunk comes up to her when she was doing walking meditation, and she bends down very slowly to feed it, and it runs away. (laughs) And she thinks, I'm such a horrible person. Even the chipmunks hate me. (laughs) And then she went into another, you know, half an hour of spinning out of how horrible she was. So she went in to see her teacher, and she said to her teacher, I'm having a horrible time, I'm a horrible meditator, even the chipmunks hate me. And her teacher said, even the chipmunks hate me, the sky is blue. And she saw in that moment that the sky is blue is a thought, and even the chipmunks hate me is a thought. And one seemed to have a lot of pull and power and belief and identification, and the other didn't. And when she put the two together, it was like her mind relaxed, and she began to say, okay, even the chipmunks hate me, the sky is blue. And anytime she'd have another thought that was self-judging, she'd say, she'd say oh, I'm a terrible medi- meditator, the sky is blue. And this is something that you can play with as you work on the disidentification process from things that are so painful to you. So, going back more to working with our emotions that that are really uh, difficult to work with, Sometimes these hindrances come as a cover-up to our emotions. So you may be experiencing a lot of restlessness because there's actually some emotion down there that you haven't really given yourself permission to feel. Or a lot of sleepiness might come. Or a lot of hating things might come or a lot of fantasizing, any of those five hindrances can become sort of, it's like an escape valve in the mind. Just, I'd rather think about the great meal that I had than feel my pain or feel my fear. So if you notice that these things are arising frequently, it's helpful to just sort of take a moment and when your mind gets a little bit, just a little bit more uh, calm, Just ask yourself, what am I not feeling right now? Is there something here that needs to be felt? And I know this happens to me a lot. Um, For instance, if I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is having all these anxious thoughts, first of all, I've learned that um, whenever I think things in the middle of the night, I shouldn't really believe them. You know, because they're usually, when they're anxious, they're usually some kind of anxiety just out there. But the anxiety is being fueled often by emotions. So a couple of weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. There was all this anxiety. So for a while, I worried and worried and worried about something I don't remember. And then, I, then suddenly, in the middle of the worry, I thought, wait a minute. Are you upset about something? Oh, I think so. Okay. So I just had my, I just, I mean, I was lying down and I just said, okay, just sink into your body and feel your body and see what's there. And so I sunk my mind, my attention, my mindfulness in, and I felt a little bit of sadness. And then I thought, oh no, I don't want to feel this. And so I said, Diana, it's fine. It's just sadness. Go ahead. Okay. And I sunk my attention in and I felt the sadness and... It was sadness. 
it was sad. It made me really sad. It was painful a bit. And then it kind of moved through me, energy in motion. And then the anxiety calmed. And then I went to sleep. So you can practice with this. A big question that often arises is, when is it time to explore emotions and when should I just let them go? You know, how do I know? Should I be really checking this out? Is this something really important? Maybe I should, you know, an emotion comes up. Maybe this was related to what happened to me when I was three years old. I should be checking this out. And the general rule is um, if an emotion just comes and it sort of comes in through the body and the mind and and then it goes and don't worry about it, first of all. It's just, just notice it, become aware of it, and then it'll it'll pass on its own. If it comes and it is repetitive and really hangs out and doesn't want to leave, it's just like it's stuck there, you know, and you keep having the same repetitive worry or thought, then it's worth investigating a bit. Then it's worth investigating. Um, but this the bigger question is about you know, sometimes we ask ourselves, okay, should I, be do, should I be letting go or should I... Well, it's the same question. And sometimes when we're meditating, we can't go any further along in our meditation because it feels like this thing is, is really big. And really, it's almost like this obstacle in the road. And then it might take some work of understanding it. But at other times, we may have worked on issues in our life for a really long time, and it's time to say, okay, enough already. I've dealt with this issue that happened when I was five years old. I've dealt with it for 20 years. I'm ready to find the disidentification, the freedom. So it's really a dance that we all have to find, because it's, it's both. It's working with both in our practice, in our lives, outside of retreat, inside of retreat. The beauty of the practice is the freedom within it, the freedom in a moment of fear, the freedom in a moment of anger, freedom in a moment of sadness. It is possible. Some people experience lots and lots of emotion. They come on retreat and it's this intense wave after wave of emotion and it feels overwhelming. And it is. It can be quite overwhelming. The key here is that, again, it's possible to have a healthy relationship, to get to a place where you don't feel overwhelmed by your emotions. Mindfulness, in a sense, is a container builder. By being mindful, we build our capacity to be with things, to be with things as they are. And that container gets stronger and stronger and allows more things to come into it. Okay, so initially you might be feeling something and it's completely overwhelming and you can just feel it for one second, a little bit of the pain or the grief. You can just touch it with your mindfulness and that's perfect and that's all you have to do. But then there are times where it can, it can grow. Your ability to be mindful as your concentration grows, as your equanimity grows, as these different qualities of the heart and mind grow, it's like it just you start to feel to be stronger almost. And this takes time, and it takes patience. 
And I found this quote from uh, Alice Walker, one of my favorite writers. She says, you know what hearts are for? Hearts are there to be broken. And I say that because that seems to be just part of what happens with hearts. I mean, mine has been broken so many times that I've lost count. But it just seems to be broken open more and more and more, and it just gets bigger. I remember saying to my therapist, you know, my heart by now feels open like a suitcase. It feels like it is just sort of dropped open, you know, like how a big suitcase just falls open. It feels like that. So we can develop a heart, a mind, a mindfulness, a capacity that's like a big open suitcase that, it, that allows everything to be present in it. And that we have the ability to nurture and care for ourselves. In a sense, it's like reparenting ourselves. These feelings want to be known. They want to be known. That's why they're there, in a sense. But we can do it very gently and easily. Or not easily, but, ge- but very gently and easefully. So that, for instance, if you're having a very big, overwhelming experience of an emotion... Find a place in your body that's not in that emotion, that actually feels maybe neutral or calm or relaxed or even pleasant. So a lot of people notice that their legs or their feet or their hands aren't caught up with the emotion, but they're actually really pleasant. So you can bring your attention to your hands and then let the mind relax and gather sort of its energy and then very gently come back into the emotional body, into the heart and mind. Oh, okay, there's a lot of pain in my belly. Okay, being with the pain, just feel it. Okay, that's enough. And then come out, being with the hands again. So this is this very slow and gentle process for working with very strong, very overwhelming emotions. I want to remind us that this process takes time, that it doesn't happen overnight, and that this facility, this we we um, we get better and better at it. And sometimes we stumble and fall, and sometimes we we get really caught and overwhelmed, and sometimes we're really really awake and free in the midst of our difficulties. So most of you know this, I think, but I'm going to read it anyway because I love it. And I oops. Not that one. I got it. This is called. This is about how we um, how we we learn over time, and how change happens. And it's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost, I am helpless, it isn't my fault, and it takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I pretend I don't see it, I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault, and it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I see it's there. I fall in because it's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. 
I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. It takes time. When I first started practicing meditation, I um, wasn't someone that found myself overwhelmed by emotions. I was actually sort of the opposite. I found myself underwhelmed by emotions. I never really um, got... I actually sort of was surprised. I started meditating, like, where's all the emotions that everybody talks about? And um, they would kind of come and go really fast. And I just... I also... um, when, the, when you concentrate your mind, the concentration can keep emotions at bay. And so my mind would get very concentrated and I would kind of skip past, skip over my emotions. And sometimes what I would do is I would try to power through my emotions with my concentration. So for instance, I would be doing walking meditation and I would feel myself I, would, I wouldn't exactly know this was happening, but I would be bored, okay? I wasn't mindful that I was bored. I would just be bored. So I would think, all right, if I get more concentrated and do this work really hard, then, my, um, then I'll get through this. And so I would get really mindful, and I would walk, do walking meditation very intensely, and then I would sort of just skip over the boredom or power through it, you might say. And I basically ignored, ignored it. Why? Because I didn't want to feel the pain. I come from a family where it was cons- I was sort of considered the good girl. So I had to do everything good, and that meant I couldn't get too upset or too angry or rock the boat too much in my family. So emotions, I had to have happy emotions all the time. I wasn't really supposed to have angry emotions or sad emotions. I had to be sort of a good girl. So one day I was doing walking meditation. This was in the early um, years of my practice. I don't know, maybe four or five years into it. And I was doing the walking meditation, and suddenly I feel this thing. (laughs) And um, I didn't know what it was, so I kept walking. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. I just was feeling some emotion. (laughs) So I walk back, and I stand in the spot (laughs) Where I was exactly, and I had kind of did this funny pose, and I stood in it, and the emotion came right back, and it went through my body, and I felt it, and there were tears, and then it sort of moved, and it shifted and changed, and my mindfulness was strong and precise, and then it kind of disappeared. And I thought, now that was interesting. So I began to do it as a practice. I began to try it a couple of times a day so I could connect with this part of myself that I was kind of pushing through and avoiding. And then a couple years later, when I was living um, in a monastery practicing, I decided to make it a regular practice. So I would do walking meditation, but I would do kind of walking meditation, paying close attention to my emotional life. So I'd walk a little, and then I would check in. Oh, There's some emotion there, and I would stop, 
and I would feel it and I would let the emotion come up and through and then I would walk again. So, and then I would pay attention when I would return. I would return to the sensation of walking to the feet and legs like we've been encouraging you to do here. What was interesting was that I didn't necessarily know what the emotion was or why I was having it. So it might be that um, there was the sadness, and I didn't know why. It wasn't because of something that someone did to me or some memory that I had or anything. It was just part of my makeup. It was coming through me. And I let it come through me without trying to figure it out too much. And this is really important in the meditation practice because we often want to know why is something happening. You know, I'm having knee pain. Why is it? Was it because of that accident I had when I was 10? Or was it because, you know, I'm sitting in a bad posture? Or was it? We often don't know the answer. And part of the practice is really just trusting that the things are as they are. Can we just be with it? Oh, okay, there's a little, there's pain here. You know, you don't do something to hurt yourself, but when you don't always have to know the reason behind something. What began to happen for me was that I discovered this whole underworld of emotions that had been there that I hadn't given attention to. And it was like this, it was almost like in The Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to technicolor. Suddenly, like the world just got much brighter. It just began, there was so much going on that I had really been ignoring and avoiding because I didn't want to feel the pain. And then what would happen was as I would let these emotions in, my mindfulness would start to get sharper and sharper because. I had been cutting off a piece of myself, kind of deadening something. And so once I allowed that to be there, then there was all this, it was like the mindfulness just came in full force. It was really strong and present and aware and beautiful, like quite amazing. I called this practice walking myself home to myself. And it was my way of, in a sense, returning, reclaiming the piece of me that I had kept away so that I could continue to be a good girl and not feel any pain. So this practice um, made a huge difference in my life. And now it's, there's not that disconnect. This is you know, maybe 10 years later. There's not that disconnect. The emotions feel like a very real and connected part and very much come through me and pass. And I feel like I have a very healthy relationship at this point. Like, oh, you know, sometimes I get really upset about something and sometimes I'm really caught. And, but most of the time there seems to be both an honoring of the emotions and a bit of space, a bit of... Oh yeah, so there's fear, there's worry, there's grief. What what began to happen for me was that my mind became more fearless. That I that the mindfulness was the proof that we could have courage in our hearts and mind, that just through the act of mindfulness. And for those of you who connect with loving kindness, the practice of loving kindness develops this fearlessness, the mind that can be with anything. 
And it began to deepen my way of being in the world, of seeing things more clearly. Life can have more texture. This is our life. This is our life. We want to live our life. We want to be in all of our body, in all, as much as we can, as much as is possible, in our emotions, in our physical body, in our mind, in our being. It's, it's all available to us through this beautiful practice of mindfulness. Intuition also. The more that I began to feel in the body, the more my intuition develops. And this is what many people say, that intuition has this physical component. And the more connected we are, the more able we are to to know things more clearly, to make decisions, split-second decisions that come from a place of compassion and kindness. So our emotions can be this beautiful field to learn to practice with, where all of life can reveal itself to us. Emotions can become less of a big deal if we're the kind of person who tends to get really, really absor- absorbed and freaked out by our emotions, they can be, we can have more space. If we're the kind of person that tends to be disconnected, we can come into technicolor with our emotions. And all of our emotions, they're all impermanent. Every emotion you've ever had your entire life, where is it now? Who knows? Gone, right? It's all gone. They all come and they go. Energy in motion. We can be free in the midst of any emotion. We can be free in greed. We can be free in fear. We can be free in sorrow. It's all possible. It really is. And as we learn to open in this way, as we learn to open to ourselves and our capacity for knowing ourselves, we can open to the suffering of the world. And this is so key because our practice doesn't stop internally on the cushion. Everything you're doing has profound impacts on everyone who you meet everyone who you meet, and the world itself that so desperately needs our practice in these times. So I just want to end with um, this little thing that I received from my father, this little card. It was about five years ago. He sent me this. I think it was on a birthday. And he, he said this. He said, Keep walking my darling daughter, deeper into the world and deeper into your heart and mind. So much joy awaits you. So let's sit.
This talk was given by Diana Winston at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on June 2, 2005. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio Archive. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.